welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Well, good morning again, all of you. It is so great to be here worshiping with you on this third Sunday of Lent as we prepare our hearts um, in this season of repentance and penitence and preparation for the cross and the resurrection. Um, As I mentioned before, I'm Father Morgan Reed. I'm the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church, um, and I would love to pray for us as we begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Amen. I remember it was really early in the pandemic, um, you know, about the time this church started having interest meetings. And um, somebody had reached out to me on Instagram Messenger. Uh, Yes, I am on Instagram. And um, I hadn't talked to them in like 15 years, but they reached out to me randomly. I used to know them back in high school. And they had asked me about the pandemic, specifically if this disease that was happening had been prophesied specifically in the Bible? Fair question. Um, I think the way that I answered it was um, something like, well, it's probably not specifically prophesied in the Bible, but, you know, in a general way, the Bible does assume human suffering uh, until Jesus comes again. Now, that's a fine answer. It's true, sort of vanilla, uh, you know, but, but I... When I think back to what I had said, I really wish that I had answered my friend further. I mean, I guess I could still go back and try, but the moment's over. But I I should have been more nuanced. There was far more profound things to say than just, yeah, human suffering is going to be a reality. Um, I could have pointed her to the right use of Scripture, uh, which... You know, which is what Jesus did for her, uh, which points us to what Jesus did for her. And I wish that I had gone deeper in our conversation to tell her about that, but I didn't. It's, it's not helpful necessarily to look at biblical prophecies like predictions uh, and try to explain current events in the world. It's just not a, a helpful way to read the Bible. And, and there's two reasons for that. One of the dangers that it does it, by misusing the scriptures that way is it makes us who are reading it the judges of why others are suffering. And we become the arbiters of the, the rationale of their suffering. Another danger of misusing the scriptures in that way is that, to put it in a way that somebody else put it, we can use God to escape from God. And so we we read the scriptures in such a way to to find some very specific answers to things. Um, But what it does is it distracts us from the work that God wants to do in us. So by trying to, to look for answers for things that are beyond our control, what we do is we divert our attention, we divert our efforts, we divert our affections away from the work that the Bible could do in us, which is the conversion, our, our repentance, our conversion, and the amendment of life that God wants to bring about in us. 
This season focuses on repentance. Repentance is that work of turning from our sins, the things that we fall short of, to God. Conversion is that renewal of our hearts and our minds in Christ. And the amendment of life is the way that we make peace with others and that we change our behavior by God's grace in Christ. And when we consider uh, tragedies that happen, there are tragedies that result from human injustice. There are tragedies that result from uh, natural disaster. Both of them here are present. Uh, And instead of trying to find the answers to why, what they are is they're an opportunity to be reminded of our common humanity that we share with others. They remind us of our frailty, and they remind us uh, of our need for God's grace and help. So it's kind of like we prayed earlier in the collect. When, When we hear that collect for the third Sunday of Lent, it says, Heavenly Father, you've made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Look with compassion upon the heartfelt desires of your servants and purify our disordered affections that we may behold your eternal glory in the face of Christ Jesus. So it's not that our hearts are going to be restless until we find the answers that we've been searching for. Um, Even if we use God to explain them. It's not that our hearts are going to finally find rest and, and not be restless anymore when we finally reach the point of having those needs met that we have felt for a long time. No, that's not the way that our hearts, that our restless find rest. We recognize that our hearts are restless until they find rest in God alone. Um, And as a small aside, I would also say that that's not to negate the fact that we should address issues of injustice. We should provide relief for those who suffer. And when we do... It comes from a heart that is seeking rest from God and God alone. That process of finding rest in God, it's a daily process. It's a daily conversion. Um, We might even go further to call it a pilgrimage of frequent moment-by-moment conversions of the heart. Um, In other words, there are deep loves that you and I have. And there are things that we give ourselves to every day. There are things that we give our attention to. And those things need to be renewed by God's grace every single moment. And in the gospel passage today, Jesus is confronted with a fear that people are carrying. He sees through their fear. And when he sees through their fear, what he does is he addresses a question that their hearts are really asking. Jesus challenges their question. And he does so by giving them a better set of questions to ask. And then he offers a parable. And that parable challenges the affections of their hearts based on what their questions were. So these questions teach us something about having a slow kind of discipleship in an instant society. What it teaches us is that our hearts slowly settle into God's rest as we offer him our fears And then as we offer him our fears, he reveals the questions that we're really asking. And and then we seek his grace for daily repentance. To let our lives become a, a pilgrimage of frequent conversions is to do a kind of routine maintenance work that our hearts need. 
Um, it's to become a regular Christian. And what I mean by regular is not normal as opposed to abnormal. Uh, but what I mean is like regulated. Um, somebody who has a sense of rhythm, a sustainable rhythm, a healthy rhythm. It's to become that kind of Christian, to have daily conversion. So we find Jesus in this passage, and what he's doing is he's leading this band of people from Galilee in the north down to Jerusalem. And there seems to be some fear about entering Jerusalem, because Pontius Pilate is there. And Pontius Pilate has a reputation for being particularly cruel with the Jewish people. The group that's following Jesus rightly perceives that there's a problem. They share with him a piece of local news. There were some Galileans who had been traveling to Jerusalem, and they were offering sacrifices. And then it seems that on the way that they were there, either next to the temple or on the way to the temple, they were intercepted by agents of Pontius Pilate and were killed. It was unjust. It was cruel. It was human tragedy. And unfortunately, it was very common for Pontius Pilate. And it's so common that that event is not recorded anywhere outside the Bible. In other words, it was such a common thing for that to happen, it wasn't actually noteworthy. Um, but it's seared in the minds of those who are local. So you can imagine why those who are following Jesus might have some fear of going to Jerusalem with somebody who's claiming to be the Messiah. They don't want Pilate to get any inkling that they are stoking the, the fires of an insurrection. Because they know what the end of that is going to be. So Jesus hears their fears. right? He listens to them. And then he raises a, a question about the group that had been killed. He asks them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? The answer is obviously no. But it seems like a strange question to ask. It doesn't seem to follow the logic of what they just told him. But maybe Jesus perceived something that some were thinking. Uh, something that they were probably thinking was that these Galileans had died because of God's judgment on their sin. Or at least that was somewhere in their hearts if they hadn't expressed it explicitly elsewhere. But what's important here is Jesus lays a really important foundational groundwork by raising that question. First, they shouldn't assume that they are more right with God than those who suffer. And Jesus himself, of course, is going to be the greatest witness of this when he suffers and dies on a cross for us. And then second, comparison is not helpful in the kingdom of God. Um, but instead, the focus should be on repentance and the change of heart as the priorities for citizens in God's kingdom. And he brings in a second example. So not just the Galileans. The, the other example comes from Jerusalem. It's with the Tower of Siloam. And that seems to be a natural disaster rather than a, a man-made tragedy. Where the tower falls and it kills 18 people. Again, we don't know of that story outside of the Bible itself. But the two tragedies in, this, in these verses cover natural disasters and human tragedy. And Jesus asks... This question, do you think that they were worse offenders than other people in Jerusalem? And in both, uh, both questions, Jesus' answer is no, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Which again, sounds like it doesn't actually follow the logic of the question, and it sounds really extreme. 
But his point is that repentance should be the foundation of the disciples of Jesus. That it should be their frequent practice. There should be no time where repentance is not part of our journey. By contrast, there is a certain way that one can try and live, where the foundation and the focus of our lives is to preserve our image or preserve our life from death by any means necessary. We might make comparisons with other people to justify ourselves. We might act out of fear as our motivation. And when we do that, we miss the transformation that God would do in us. Because we wall up and we want to protect and keep anyone from certain spaces, including God, who wants to change those things. But Jesus confronts his followers with their mortality. And in being a people whose life should be shaped by taking up their cross every day, we should be those who are most acquainted with our own mortality and human frailty. Having a sense of our mortality uh, reminds us of our need for God's grace. It also reminds us that the moments, the hours, and the, day we ha- the days we have need to be filled with intention. And I'm sure that we all have routines that frame and that mark our days, and so we're called to give intentionality to those different parts of the day. So in our house, one of the things that we've been sort of working on over the last year or so is whenever mom or dad leave for work, our son gets a hug and a kiss and an I love you. And that's a simple thing. And it starts the day in a certain way, but it's this foundational habit that roots him in a place and it roots him in a family and it gives him a context to frame the rest of the day. And he's going to encounter different things throughout the day, but at the beginning of the day is a hug and a kiss and an I love you. At the end of the day, similarly, is a hug, a kiss, and an I love you. And each day then resituates him in who he is in relation to other people. Repentance and conversion are like this frequent reconstitution or like a resituation of our lives in God's grace that's found for us in the work of Jesus Christ. And it involves bringing up to God the fears that we're carrying. And when we do that, it lets him raise those questions that we're holding on to. And when we do that, we can confess to him those things that fall short of the glory of his kingdom. And we can amend our lives, again, by God's grace. So we move forward with him. We might slip up. But the starting again is the work of the Christian life. It's not that if you've messed up, it's over. There is another day. And so... We have a slow pilgrimage of daily conversion where each day is like a resituating of ourselves in the family of God through the cross of Christ. And after raising those questions, we get to verse 6 of Luke 13. After raising the questions of the hearts of the crowd, Jesus offers a parable. And in this parable, there's a man who plants a fig tree in the midst of a vineyard every year. They've worked on this fig tree and it's never borne fruit before. And how frustrating it would be to see those huge leaves on, that, on the, the fig tree. And maybe even some of the little figs start to form. And then when harvest time comes, they haven't gone anywhere. And after a lot of frustration, the man who owns the vineyard says, It's not even worth the cost of keeping the fig tree in the ground and taking up the nutrients of the soil. Let's pluck it out and throw it away. But in the parable, the vine dresser says, Hold on, let me have one more year. 
Let me just dig around it. I'll put more fertilizer and we'll see what happens. And that tells us something about the grace of God. We could, we could almost call that section something like, uh, there's still time. Jesus would do everything for Jerusalem's repentance and he would, and the transformation, uh, with their repentance and transformation, he would do it by dying for them in Jerusalem. And he's done that for you and for me as well. And for many in Jerusalem, remember what they were looking for. They had a zeal for a specific image of the kingdom of God that would overthrow the Romans. And that actually caused them to miss the Messiah who had brought the kingdom of God to them. They'd been looking for the wrong thing in the scriptures. And so, in a sense, they had used God to run away from God who wanted to change their hearts. The scriptures show us Jesus and they lead us to repentance. That's what the scriptures do. They're a tool for prayer and for our salvation. That's their aim. Uh, Not to explain current events or to sit in judgment of the suffering of others. They are a tool for our salvation. And the Book of Common Prayer, which is our Anglican prayer book, is filled with the scriptures. Um, and, And it shows us how to pray the scriptures. And it's got prayers that are patterned after the scriptures. And, and I think what it does is it sets up a helpful pattern for us. Whether you use the full, what they call the daily office of prayer, or you use family prayer, there is a time of repentance every day, multiple times a day, reminding ourselves of God's grace in the morning, and in the midday, and at night. And if you do compline, right before you go to bed too. It marks the day in a very special way with God's grace. And it provides opportunities for us to do the routine maintenance of our life with God. So, in daily prayer, we're reminded to ask God if there are things that we've done that we shouldn't have. And we're reminded to ask Him if there are things that we should have done that we didn't do. If, if my only repentance, you know, if, if, if there's none during the week and it just happens Sunday morning before I receive the Eucharist, I'm not sure there is enough adequate time to be silent together uh, for me to think through all the things that I need to bring to Jesus to experience his healing. And so it makes sense that this would be a daily rhythm for regular Christians. Um, The beauty of making this a daily practice is that we are daily reminded of our need for God's grace and, and its availability to us in Christ, that he wants to heal us, that he wants our best in him. If we think of it like a child-parent relationship, when a child does something wrong, if one is a pretty healthy parent, it's always better for the child to come and to be honest about the wrong that they did. I mean, okay, given that the parent might be a little upset uh, about whatever just happened, that's fine. But um, the child can say what they've done wrong, and you have the opportunity to say to them, You know, thank you for telling me that. I agree that you did something that you should not have done. Um, But you know what? That's not the end of the story. Why don't we work together on it? Let's make it right together. And then if it was something personal, you can offer forgiveness to them for the the offense that felt personal to you. You can reassure the child of your love for them. You can work with that child on making things right and having just the right amount of course correction for them to grow. And, and then growth happens for that child as a result of the confession. If that child has done something wrong and they decide to keep that thing a secret and lie about it, 
then they're going to have to work really hard to keep on maintaining that lie. And aside from the potential disappointment that we might experience as a parent when we discover the lie, the loss is greater for the child. The child actually loses out by, by lying and keeping a secret because they, they've lost the opportunity to grow from it, to learn, to mature as a person, to experience uh, um, healthy conflict. And there's an opportunity for us to come to God regularly, to hand Him those things that we carry that we shouldn't be carrying, and to receive from Him the grace that we need to continually be formed into the image of Jesus Christ. In the crowd's comments to Jesus, they reveal their anxieties to Jesus and their worries and their cares, and Jesus reveals to them the questions that their hearts were really asking. And that gives him the opportunity then to reorient their priorities in light of God's kingdom priorities. So our daily conversation then with God, our daily conversion I should say, is a reorientation to God's kingdom priorities. Where we learn uh, more deeply our need for God's help. And where we're reminded of the mercy and grace that's available to us in Jesus Christ. That mercy and grace that meet us in ways that far exceed our ability to actually ask for them. And our hearts will continually be restless until they find rest in God. Um, So let's find that rest. As we offer God our fears and anxieties. As we allow Him to reveal the questions that we're asking. And as we seek His grace in daily repentance, conversion, and amendment of life. Let me pray. O God of peace, who has taught us that in returning and rest, we shall be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be our strength. By the might of your Spirit, lift us, we pray, to your presence. Where we may be still and know that you are God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.